I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart, aka Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Building Sustainability consists of conversations with designers, builders, makers, dreamers, and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Welcome to the solstice slash Christmas slash New Year episode of Building Sustainability. Hang on. Enough of that. It's a very strange Christmas for many in the UK this year and around the world. Covid and lockdowns have changed everything. So I wanted to do as I have done since the first lockdown and just give out a little bit more uh, in the hope of keeping people entertained and occupied. So this is the first of two episodes with Jana Lan Lomas. Jana is the founding director and designer at Grain Architecture. So in this episode, I am talking with Jana about the more practical side of sustainable architecture. That's sort of looking at design details, materials and costs. In episode 38, we talk through Jana's background in sustainability, uh, the need for community and diversity, the planning systems, Jana's background studying at CAT and a bigger sort of topic of the ethics in the architecture industry in the face of climate change. So that's what's going on in episode 38. But I think both of these episodes are considered standalone. They are quite different. Um, so just before that, as it's the end of the year 2020, I wanted to hit you with some podcast stats. Um, at the time of recording this uh, building Sustainability has had 40,918 downloads. Every month we're getting around 4,500 listeners at the moment and each new episode is expected to get around about 1,100 listeners within its first 90 days. As it stands, our top five episodes are at number five, Barn the Spoon, becoming a full-time spoon carver. At number four, Rob Hopkins, What If We Imagined a Better Future? Number three, Heartwind Natural Builders, which is the very first episode. And I think a lot of people listen to one and then they go to listen to that, which terrifies me a little bit because I wasn't very good at podcasting back then. Uh, number two is Nick Hayes, Trespass, Crossing the Lines That Divide Us. And the number one podcast is Flo Hamer, uh, Building a Tiny Home. So this year I've got to speak to loads of lovely people from many different areas. Some of them were my friends. Some of them are now my friends. Uh, some have been my heroes. Some have been my teachers. And an increasing number are great people who I've never met, who I've just read something about and want to talk to. Um, and they have been happy enough to sit down and spend an hour talking with me about stuff. So a huge thanks to all of my guests over the last year and beyond. It's been an honour to speak to you and a joy to be able to share your work and your ideas with all of the wonderful listeners. 
Speaking of the listeners, that's you. A massive thanks to you, to everyone that's tuned in for this podcast. And thank you especially to all the people that have emailed um, suggestions or comments or just to let me know how the podcast is is helping them. Wanted to say a big thanks, as always, to Mike Bite Hill for the theme music. And my final thanks is the biggest, and that goes to my Building Sustainability Heroes. These are the people on the Patreon site who give their financial support to the podcast. And it makes so much difference. Since lockdown number one, I dropped a day from my working week to focus on the podcast. And your support really helps to plug some of the financial gap that that has created. So the biggest of thanks go to Mari Ryan, Andy Bayliss, Scott McCauley, Keith McCracken, Rick Piper, Joanna Bradshaw, Wibbs Coulson, Ben, Samantha Fruith, James Wilson, Harold Pierce, Darren Shepard, Adri, Philippe, Martin Doyle, Eleanor, Dominic, Emily Dawkins, Mr. William Smith, Chris Davey, Aidan, Sam Pointer, Ross Walker, Jim Jam, Amanda James, Tudor and Alastair. Thank you to all of those people. You are really incredible. I appreciate you so much. Okay, that's it for me. This episode begins with us talking about EcoBuild, which was a trade show that became FutureBuild. Enjoy the episode. So, I mean, those eco builds or which, you know, future builds as they became, the, the feedback that we'd always get was, you know, oh, I'm so glad that you're here because otherwise, you know, this entire show would be um, just, you know, plastic concrete yeah, foam insulation. Yeah, call it eco build. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not meaning to knock it too much, but I mean, <laughs> there was one year when the people opposite were selling plastic grass. Uh, right. and when they were asked why it was, why, why is that eco? They said, well, well you don't have to water it. A lot of that there. And it's, it is really frustrating. I do kind of feel for the, the guy who, who runs it or the people who run it in that it's, it's not easy. And a lot of the money, and this is the problem in society or in the industry, that the money comes from the big companies who are typically not doing things terribly well. You know, they, the, um, Celotex. Kingspan, these companies are the ones giving all this money. The Concrete Centre, I think, did a huge uh, amount last year. And it's like, well, and then they, they give lectures on how green their products are. And you're like, that's totally the wrong angle. We should be, we should be promoting the alternatives to all those, those, that's, you know, those are the reason, those products are the reason we're in such a mess in the first place. Those Mm -hmm. products reason that you know the built environment is responsible for nearly half of global co2 emissions and um and it doesn't have to be which is yeah i mean what what do you think uh, we can do or what are you doing maybe um because you know natural materials don't really have they don't have the voice or the money behind them to have the voice uh, they don't have you know the 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 sway the sort of lobbying the all the all the things that the these big corporate you know, machines yeah. have so yeah. how how can the little natural building uh, natural materials you know, compete it is frustrating because it's the people who are in into natural materials and natural building that are doing it not for the profit but for the the love of the material or the understanding that it is the right thing to be doing and and yet because they're not just focused on making profit they don't end up being able to compete with the big um, big companies that are just all about the money, really. And yeah, so it is quite hard to to get um, to get small people, small uh, companies, um, to be on the same platform. And I suppose that's why the, the shows like Future Build are kind of at least a fairly good um, platform for that because you are all there in the same room the same space you have people wandering around and and i think the nbuk um idea of coming together and and, and labeling us as under one name I and mean, we're not really a, a thing in ourselves nbuk isn't isn't really a company 
Um, we never actually incorporated it or uh, made it that official, but it's just the kind of the, the group, the area that we, we create because we know we're all working together um, to, to try and promote the industry as a whole. And I think, I suppose, yeah, yeah, strength is in numbers in that sense, that if you come together as a group, we, we're perhaps our voices that little bit louder. Um, mm-hmm. We had a, a fantastic uh, show one time with um, Artisans of Wood that came and did a roundwood frame and it was really nice. We had a bit of thatch on it as well. And it was, it was a real eye-catching thing. It made quite a good impression. Um, but after I was demoing uh, uh, notching straw bales around their frame. Oh, yeah, exactly. That, yeah. was, that was good fun. It's so much going on and, and it got so much attention. Um, we, we had this kind of, yeah, advertising strategy, I suppose, of um, spreading straw throughout the whole hall. <laughs> <laughs> so, they didn't really like very much the um but. i think we we kept one one guy with a little vacuum or like a brush <laughs> uh in in full-time employment for that show uh, just yeah. chasing us around yeah but it it did attract a lot of people um i think that yeah it's the, the tactility and the the sort of raw honesty of what these materials are that people can really get their heads around it and they just want to come and touch it you know it's like oh my god it's an actual straw bale as if it's this amazing thing or this clay block. I mean, wow, you just want to put your hands all over it, but actually it's just it's just clay. It's, it's mud and straw and, you know, people yeah. know what these things are. They've played with them as kids, but as adults, we kind of think everything's got to be, I don't know, highly processed and, um, you know, managed. Packaged. Packaged, yeah. And, uh, and yet there's this excitement that comes out of people when they sort of actually get, told now you can you can use this to build your wall you know have you and mm-hmm. um, yeah it's really it's really fun seeing people's faces light up like that um yeah but definitely you know, artisans i think artisans of wood at that show um they are i mean actually they're called built by artisans now i think they've, they've changed slightly but um primarily they're sort of woodsmen and you know they we do a lot of work in the in the trees in the woods, um, and they don't really like coming to the Excel Centre for um, X days to uh, to be in that kind of environment. So it's it's really hard to pull these these amazing people out of the woods and into um, these spotlights of um, surrounded by by all the cement and plastic companies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always found those those events um to be sort of well a very split feeling emotionally um I'd quite often end up being very very drained by kind of everyone else there giving away their free plastic pens and yeah. you know chatting about oh we've made our concrete 10% more efficient aren't we eco mm. <laughs> um that sort of mentality but then equally you know, there'd be the, the, the core group of, of NBUK people who it just like filled my heart with like hope and, and optimism that, you know, there are good people and you could come together and you could talk about things and you could share ideas and you could be, be inspired. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, really encouraging. And that's one of the reasons I go back and keep doing it every year. It's, you get that buzz from just seeing everybody who's fighting your corner and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, nice. Um, so I, I guess, uh, well, yeah, I'm interested to know your, your approach. I think in terms of, you know, the, the buildings you design, um, if there's particular techniques you favor, if things like that, um, like, you know, if you were designing, say, your own building, uh, that's probably a good, a good question. Like what, what technologies and materials would you be, uh, be specifying? Uh, well, that's a good question. Luckily, I've already designed my own house. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly how it would be made. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I have a, so grain architecture, um, kind of puts, uh, natural materials always first as the, the sort of the go to, you, you start by aiming for the best and, there's only you only kind of compromise when you have to I, th- I think it's the wrong way around to sort of say as many architects do in my experience 
but um you know we we didn't we didn't go for something natural ek because the client didn't ask for it well (laughs) that's completely the wrong way around we we're the professionals and we should be putting the best um the the best thing forward as the, the the primary option um and so that's kind of yeah the the ethos that we work by that we're always aiming for um natural or you know plastic and cement and steel free wherever possible obviously there's going to be some some steel in some mem- in some um, fixings there's going to be the odd possibly the odd membrane certainly some um some some tapes and things like that but it's very minimal pretty much everything else that you you have in a building can be natural compostable or recyclable you know it's and it's got a very low carbon footprint or it can have a very low carbon footprint um probably the the highest carbon thing we use is is, um lime which is uh obviously got a bit of a bit of a carbon footprint to produce it in the first place but it does at least re um capture the uh, co2 over its curing um as you know (laughs) (laughs) people listening might not know and and it's it eventually kind of becomes limestone again effectively um which is how it's very different from cement which will always be cement um and yeah and what's i mean you, you know all this and most of your listeners probably know all this but it's once you start using natural materials you, you kind of learn all these other things that aren't just about carbon footprint but also about like the way that moisture moves through through a building and the fact that instead of trying to just slap on more seals and more waterproofing layers actually letting the building um i think what is often called breathing but really it's sort of the vapor open nature of it that the humidity can dry out um not mm-hmm. the, the air draft through the wall which we don't want but um yeah having that um vapor open construction method throughout is i think really important to the longevity of the building but also the health of the um inhabitants which is pretty important <laughs> um that mm-hmm. is what buildings are meant to do is is keep people safe and warm and healthy um so yeah there's there's all those other things that come with it um and we one of the first things i do when when we have a client is to kind of try and explain all of that i guess um the things that they probably don't get from from architects architecture usually or architects in in general mm-hmm. like go to an architect because you want an extension and actually they end up with me lecturing them on humidity and carbon footprint and um, <laughs> trying to teach them about how they have options um that aren't all plastic and breeze books yeah um so uh I mean, do you do you favor a, a timber construction a lightweight timber frame um i, I know that the building i built for you was a lightweight timber frame it was so. yeah it, well, I mean, yeah, it was. It had uh, had some thermal mass in that lovely earth floor of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, probably there's always the balance, isn't there, with with thermal mass and insulation and, and lightweight and heavyweight building. I think it. I think understanding the client um, is really important. The way, if it's your house, in the way you want to live um, in that space, do you want it to have a a quick response to temperature change or do you actually want it to stay very continuous and balanced um you know thermal mass is is brilliant at absorbing heat or cool and and releasing it slowly but it will release it on both sides it every you know it radiates every all over insulation will keep it on one side of the insulation which is what's so different and and a lot of people don't get that um i think a lot of people think a green roof or a big cob wall is going to insulate but it it acts as thermal mass it's um not the insulation so you need that as well and i and it yeah i i would favor a mix i suppose um having the right balance if you have too much thermal mass it's going to be really really slow to to heat up um but i think maybe the core of your house which my my house would be hopefully one day that I will build will be quite a um uh kind of 
cool central bit with, with your, your kitchen living space that is, I think most people these days want to have like an open plan kitchen living room that they live in all the time. And that space, because you are using it all the time, is a, is a good place to probably have some thermal mass. Um, but then if there are spaces that you only go into for um, you know a couple of hours here and there, um, whether it's a study or, uh, I mean, not your everyday office, perhaps that's more, you know, you're slower, you know, you, you more want the thermal mass there, but, but uh, yeah, um, a shorter use space, you want to have a lighter um, construction type really, so that it will react more quickly to you using it um, or heating it as and when you want to. That's fantastic. I've never heard anyone uh, say that before, actually. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, and it makes so much sense. Yeah, I think I think uh, yeah, it's it's sensible to yeah understand the the materials and put them in the spaces you want how in response to how you want to use them. Obviously, you've also got the um, you know, thermal mass you can use to absorb the heat from your fireplace or from the sun from solar gain, particularly in winter and things like that. So you can use it cleverly as well. But um, it, seems, it seems like it's a an often overlooked component um in building the the mass uh people are very aware of insulation and i think maybe because the mass is slightly harder to test for you know a lot of thermal mass can appear to work like insulation and there are in fact i know of a few uh people who are cob builders who don't understand the difference between (laughs) thermal mass and insulation they they're sort of like Surely yeah. this is insulation because it's doing this a similar job. So um, down leaving the space, yeah, sure, but it will eventually absorb it and radiate it on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is. It is something that's amazingly misunderstood, um, and I think I think insulation is talked about more because it is actually probably more important. I mean, you do need to keep the heat if you're using energy to heat a space you want to reduce that demand as much as possible which means keep it in as much as possible and i mean yes you can use thermal mass to do that obviously as well um and and both together can work really really well but um but if you just had thermal mass it takes a lot of energy to heat that up and then you're losing it on both sides of that mass so Mm -hmm. um it's it's going to be much more energy saving to have super insulation rather than super thermal mass um, yeah. I, I think if you wanted um sort of you know, thing with thermal mass if you have it on the inside of your insulation then it's obviously going to store and and, and release the heat or cool of your room of your living space um so it, yeah that affects the temperature um change so if you turn the heating on it's going to take a long time for it to heat up um if you, however, have the, the thermal mass on the outside of your insulation, it's going to have um, not such an effect on how quick or slow your space heats up from your heating, but it's going to have more of an impact on how your um, building as a whole reacts to temperature change out from outside. So if it's a really, really cold spell for a week, if we get frosts for a week, um, you know, having thermal mass on the outside of your building will um, reduce the impact that that has on your internal temperature so it can help keep the building warmer in winter um and likewise in summer it can help give a sort of um keep it cool when you have a heat wave so it can be yeah. really cool in both scenarios but again it comes down to understanding how you actually want to use the building um and where you want different effects um and how much of it because having a brick's worth um of thickness of thermal mass is actually quite a good amount for most people's daily use and, and daily response to temperature change. Having 700 mil of, of rammed earth or cob, for example, has um, like the, the daily changes of heat have barely any impact at all. But over a whole season, over a whole year, I mean, it will um, store the heat or cools from the summer and into the winter. Um, which is what they have at CAT, actually, in their large rammed earth lecture theatre. They have um, a 700mm thick rammed earth um, cylinder, really, that is the lecture theatre. Amazing structure. But um, 
freezing in spring <laughs> <laughs> because it's got, it's got the cool that's it's absorbed over winter but it's lost its warmth from the previous summer and it hasn't warmed up yet and yeah so it's it's um it's yeah <laughs> it's a good building uh in in some ways but um you know, measuring the amount of thermal mass you actually want is uh quite important yes actual like a knowledge of or an anticipation of how a building is going to be used uh, mm. is really important. I really like that at the start of that, you said, I tried to sort of push you into uh, naming a, yeah. a way of building that you you liked and uh, you very, very <laughs> correctly said, it's what the client likes. You know, it's it's their listening to them is, is the important thing. There's no one solution that's best. And that is, I think, comes back to the whole strength of diversity. You know, we don't want all buildings built of the same thing. But what we do want is, you know, to keep all buildings made of a renewable, um, low carbon pallet. But uh, each individual, I think, has, and this is what's so exciting about architecture from a design point of view is that you have the, the individual's response. You have your own, likes and dislikes and your, your own ways that you use a building um, or use a space and you know the the joy I get from design and from um, creating those those spaces is that you can respond to and in, kind of I guess improve the connection between how you are as a person and how your space reflects that so yeah my my own um, space if I could um, create my own house would be a very particular thing but um, Others would obviously like other things. <laughs> there's, there is a lot, though, when a client comes to me, it's very fashionable, I think, at the moment to have lots of glass and lots of big openings and everything, big open plan, big glass and, and lots of white walls and very sort of minimalist and this very kind of, I suppose it's kind of, um, yeah, trying to be very simple because um, simplicity can be a very beautiful thing um but i think only when it's good quality and when it's done well and, and when it's understood and, and i think a lot of this big open little big um balls of glass is actually not a very uh, not a very good way to design I mean, it might look good in a photograph but actually as a space to live in it's it can be it can be very exposing in terms of how you feel um that, you know that the garden outside or the world outside is, is able to see in and and sometimes you don't actually want that level of exposure so to be able to close it off is a, is a good thing thermally obviously glass is never going to perform as well as something that is an insulation in a wall so you know the, the more glass you have the worse your your building is um thermally um and and acoustically which is often not considered um in in building certainly in in most clients idea of uh, a sort of extension to their house or something they they want these big open spaces but actually from an acoustic point of view glass is a really hard material and it sort of echoes and becomes quite cold um and it's quite a dominating thing so i think that uh, my preference is always to say well let's kind of put glass where it's sensible to put glass put glass where you've got a view or you need a connection out to a certain thing um you know you you put glass where it's going to get some solar gain in winter but you don't put massive glass when like floor to ceiling glass on a north facing wall in the uk because that's just going to lose heat it's never going to gain sunshine so um i think much like with thermal mass glass should be used sensibly and understood as a, a sort of thing it's got its own properties it's it's got its own benefits but you know use that to its advantage not its disadvantage and and then the style kind of follows that and and also f for me and um one of my i suppose pet hates with architecture is that you <laughs> that people will, will look at get an old building and then kind of put this extension on it which completely has no regard for what the building was where the structure lines were or where the, there was something coming down there and there was a beam a post there and a beam there and stuff and you've just taken it all out and put a steel in and a, and a load of glass in and that's kind of I mean 
it's not it's not really artistic it's it's actually kind of disregarding what was there and yeah quite disrespectful it, it is disrespectful and it's also to me it feels unsettled it's like the building isn't quite happy anymore because you know it's not got the the balance you can't read it in in a nice kind of um yeah sensible way and so for me it doesn't have a nice um feel to it anymore i think a lot of buildings get kind of ruined from that level of just open it up and Mm -hmm. change it (laughs) (laughs) Um, i've got a question on uh glass because uh, i remember when i when i was doing my training out in oregon uh there was this uh sort of percentage banded about that was a percentage of your floor space should be your glass space in a wall is that something that wait is that a thing is that something you're you're sort of conscious of um there are definitely numbers to all of these things that um you know the regulations of this is the maximum or minimum that you're allowed of this and it helps people to design within the boundary um I think if you actually understand the material and are using it sensibly, you, you do that intuitively and you're, you're kind of within those bounds anyway. But obviously those, yeah, those, um, areas, floor areas to, to glazing ratios can be really useful in certainly explaining to a client why they can't just wrap everything in glass, um, because you're actually not allowed to, you know. Um, it's actually, is that a, a sort of planning thing or a, a building reg thing? Um, requires you've you've got to meet certain new values basically for um extensions or new builds and um it's very hard to do that when it's covered in glass but um also i think the so if you have like um a conservatory is considered a different thing from on a domestic building you you can have a conservatory because it's all glass it's a bit ridiculous because people often heat them and they're just they're not, <laughs> I really don't like conservatories. I mean, a sunroom is different or a greenhouse is different. You know, those are great things, but, um. That's what, how does, how do they differ? Like what, I mean, a, I've never thought of a sunroom to be any different from a conservatory. So a sunroom, what I mean by that is a room where it makes the most of sun by having glazing in a place where it's going to catch some sun, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's all glass. So you might have a solid roof. Um, okay maybe walls up to a window seat height or something so you've got some solid um, insulated um, space and then some glass um, which can be really nice to having a a sort of a a large window seat I love a a window seat in a southwest corner best thing ever definitely would have that in my house Um, and uh, and yet you know a conservatory has usually all sides glass all the roof is glass and it's often these days double glazed and heated as a space because people want to use it all year round and they don't i think appreciate that you know where conservatory started was um kind of this this glass room that wasn't heated it was just a kind of room that you could that you could use but it's it's quickly become what people want to use all year round um a greenhouse is perhaps more what it has come from in that you've got this nice um space which does make uh, great use of soda gain in some ways in in winter i mean my my garden office that i'm in at the moment um has big south-facing window which opens into my south-facing lean-to greenhouse um which i got on ebay for 30 quid <laughs> um and uh, and that's really great because it absorbs all this uh heat and when it's sunny even on a cold day and then i can open the window and let some some of that heat into the room and it's it's brilliant but yeah yeah you wouldn't if if the whole of my garden office was made of glass um then obviously i would uh, both overheat in summer and get ridiculously cold in in winter so there's that <laughs> yes um great i i wanted to come back again to to something you've you've mentioned uh you've just briefly mentioned membranes and tapes i'm wondering how you feel they fit into a natural building Mm, i don't really like them (laughs) generally um but at the same time i see the um value in them uh, at times and i think that again like with 
so many other things if they're used appropriately and not just everything wrapped in membranes. Um, you know, you, you, they, are, they are a higher embodied energy material. They are um, often using materials that aren't so renewable or, or natural. So to minimise the use of that is really important. I think you don't just wrap everything in, in membranes if you don't need to. I mean, we've I think on every project so far that we've done, we've done sort of um, concrete-free foundations, and then you build up from there with uh, a slate DPC, um, damp-proof course instead of membrane or um, recycled foam glass um, blocks or aggregate, which is insulation, but also has no capillary action, so you don't need a membrane. So again, you're kind of using something. I mean, foam glass is high in body, high, high carbon as, as a material, but it also um is from recycled glass it's not um it's not toxic and it's um it is in the uk or the the european i believe I, the the stuff that's made out in the states is virgin glass I, I think so it certainly was when i researched it i mean this is old data this was sort of five six years ago <laughs> well i hope they start to use recycled anyway yeah it, it can be a really good material to use um which avoids plastic at least and, mm-hmm. and uh, allows for a good insulation underground under a solid floor um, like a limecrete or earth floor so that, that can be really nice we'll be back after a quick break hey there i'm mick from the mick and pat show that's right and i'm pat looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends well you're in luck We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. It's my my go-to. I've... I sort of describe it as a bit of a wonder material because it's there isn't really anything else that has the same positive uh, properties that I really, really desire. Yeah, Yeah. Um, it is fantastic. And yet I still would say only use it where you have to (laughs) Um, because it is a high embodied energy material. It's not something that just because it's great means you should use it everywhere. You know, you be sensible with it and say, look, this, this works really well in wet underground conditions as a damp proof layer and insulating layer and structural layer okay let's use it just in those bits so we often use it in a plinth wall as a block um and under a solid floor but that's that's it you know everywhere else we'll switch to to timber or um i'd love to do something with more like adobe block um you know people people want solid houses with block work walls or you know adobe blocks or um Strocks, as HG Matthews are doing a one called Strocks and things, and hemp clay blocks, and all these other blocks uh, would be really good as well. I, I, I think I'd favour timber a lot, but um, I'd like to explore more. Some load bearing. Yeah, earth. I think it's it's a great material. Nice, I agree. Um, and then you've you've mentioned uh, concrete free foundations. Um, I was wondering, like, I think maybe well, I imagine. Most people listening to this are like, yes, concrete free foundations. But certainly the, um, the, the builds I did in the States, um, and that we get a lot of listeners in the States, uh, concrete is so the norm that even their beautiful straw bale houses have a, uh, 400 by 400 concrete ring beam the whole way around the, well, the building. In some places it's, um, necessary for, for building control, which is really sad because it's, so not necessary from a structural point of view um at least in the uk at least we can argue that through having a structural engineer sign off the structural capability of something else like um limecrete i mean what what my go-to um foundation would be is is using a pit or trench of compacted aggregate and then you either build a plinth pool off there or you've got a sort of um, a slab with timber frame on top of there so um sometimes there's some limecrete needed but you know that's that's kind of where i'd start um and again you start with the best that you can do and you compromise only where you have to you know if, if there is 
I, I did on, on one project, we had to underpin under a historic corner of, of the house. And unfortunately, we had to use a tiny bit of concrete, but it was it was kept to just the minimum amount. Um, the same with the, the workshops that you worked on. There was this um, moment where it was really frustrating because it's a light building that we did. And, and you think that that's going to need minimal foundations. But then the engineer's like, yeah, but it could get blown away. <laughs> it's too light. <laughs> yeah. You actually do need, so there's, so there was one or few elements, two, you know, a few points where we had to actually anchor it with, um, something a bit stronger. And we ended up using a little, little bit of concrete, but it was really minimal. And the majority of the foundations were concrete free. Um, yeah, we worked very hard to, to, uh, yeah. to use the absolute minimum. And it meant we had about six different foundation types throughout the whole it building. It was a, it's hard to keep track of it, it was a bit frustrating that but i i think yeah probably having a um a good engineer on board um really helps with with that um if they kind of get it and they understand that you know, that principle of don't just pour concrete everywhere because that's the easy answer start with with the concrete free option and then kind of only use it where you absolutely have to and you have yes. to challenge it because you often don't have to. <laughs> That's something I learned from Ben at Terra Palma, actually. He, uh, he said, just whenever a structural engineer gives you something, just go back and say, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Uh, and then, and then get them to like change their, their assumptions. Yeah. It is, it is a lot of it's based on assumptions. And obviously structural engineers typically will, um, and architects and builders and everybody will typically go for the easy option of what is normal and what they do everywhere. And it's a one solution fits all. And of course, again, that's what's led to so many problems. Um, and certainly on a domestic scale with, you know, doing like one story extensions or two story buildings, new builds even, um, that sort of scale of building is very rarely really needs concrete um in foundation you know you can you can do an awful lot without concrete i mean concrete has its place under skyscrapers and airports not that they should really do a thing but anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah it has its it has its place it's, again it's an amazing material that we should um you know respect for how good it is at certain things but only use it for those things where it has to be used and and use a better material for everything else which you can use you can use limecrete or you can use compacted agria or ram tires or gabions or something oh gabions oh I, I don't know how i feel about gabions so i well i i did some research into them and um because we were going to use them on one of our projects and it the the advertising for this uh this gabion manufacturer said it'll last 50 years it's like well that's that's not very long in the life of a building. That's pretty yeah. awful. Well, yeah, a, a lot of building products are now, they're, they're sold as lasting 30 years or 50 years, and that is considered you know, a normal kind of lifespan. I think they, they mean it's like guaranteed for that long. And, and typically on a lot of big, big buildings, they do only last that long because people want to redesign spaces. But obviously houses can last hundreds if not thousands of years and we should be building for a much longer lifespan um certainly longer than a human's lifespan i mean if we can't design a building that, that outlasts a human we've really gone wrong um but uh yeah a lot of a lot of these houses are kind of doomed not to last because of the way that they're built i suppose and so mm -hmm. they just want to cover their backs and say it's only guaranteed for so long yes um okay let's let's move on from that then <laughs> uh, so here's the question that i know that you've uh, you've got a good answer for because uh, i've heard mm -hmm. it before uh, but uh it's one that i get asked a lot as a builder mm -hmm. uh, how much does an eco home cost oh gosh <laughs> how much does a house cost i mean it's <laughs> Um, so I think when you say eco home, do you mean a natural? Yeah. Figure? Yeah. Let's say they've seen something on grand designs and they want 
want to build an eco house? <laughs> well, um, one of the first things I, I do with clients is ask them to define what they mean by eco or sustainability, get that defined straight away um, and set some standards of what you want to aim for. And I think it's, you know, if you want to go for something that's efficient and high quality, you're going to spend more money on that, whether it's done with plastic and polystyrene or whether it's done with straw bales, you're you're likely going to um, spend more on good quality. Um, I think most of the time when people want to do natural, natural material based homes, they kind of go the whole hog and they, they want to do it really work really well and insulate it to kind of, you know, straw bale is, is basically a passive house level of insulation and, and if you take that as a standard which is what we typically do then that's a huge amount of insulation and it's and it's going to be more expensive than just meeting building regs um that's because the quality is increased not necessarily because you're using a natural material um i think that you you could you know you could build just a building regs with something timber frame and some and something natural um and, and do it much more cheaply, but that's that's rarely done because people who start going down that route often see that they're going to get more benefit from from building to higher standards. So the comparison with your standard brick and block is really hard to make. Um, there's so much more to it than that. <laughs> but also, then you get the whole well, how do you build it? And obviously, you're you pay for uh, a good contractor to come in and, and build it all for you. Um, but with a lot of natural building, there's an element of self-build and people like to get engaged. And that can sometimes bring the cost right down if you're building it all yourself. Um, we've got some some clients who built a, we did a, a straw bale roundhouse in Norfolk. Um, I say we, I mean, it feels like it wasn't really us. It was them. The, the clients did it all themselves. We we helped get them building control, uh, um, building control approval. but. I watched their build on on Instagram. Yeah, it was beautiful to really, watch. Yeah, it's really lovely. Uh, it's taken a bit of time, um, but they've managed to do it with very little money. Um, and it's beautiful and very high quality. So I, I think that's always there's always a sliding scale. You've got three things of quality, time and money, and you can't have all three at the top. You know, something's got to give. Um, if you're willing to put in a lot of time, you can save a lot of money. You can do a lot of things by... Um, salvaging i mean this year i we've spent a lot of time at home salvaging materials and building stuff basically for free um because uh we've been able to put that time in and that effort in but if you don't have that then you often pay for the convenience of, of time so you're going to spend more um and equally if you accept low quality you're going to be able to save money but um I'm, I would promote good quality, in which case you're going to spend a little bit more. There's, there's always a balance, and yeah, it depends on the priorities of a client as to how that goes. Well, I am. Um, I was very impressed, and I've told a lot of people this. Um, when we went for the initial client meeting with the Darlow family, um, oh. the, the first the first meeting I ever went to with with Prosecco as yeah. <laughs> a standard, um, yeah. there I was really impressed with how you you got their budget and then you gave them uh, from that you could find out what sort of quality of finish they were looking for and then that gave them a footprint and that gave a you know a starting point for you that would make a kitchen about this big a you know living space about this big and very quickly you could sketch out what what's possible yeah definitely uh it's always productive to take a um, pencil and paper to a initial meeting and scribble stuff so that you can yeah get a response straight away I th- the i i can't actually remember what their, that was a few years ago what their um their budget was but yeah i i think we said um back then that the cost as i would often say to clients the cost varies between um i think typically now i'd say like 1500 pounds a square meter to 2000 pounds a square meter somewhere in there obviously it can go a little bit either way um but if we took a sort of middle ground of that and said okay if we're going to assume it's it's around for for ease of maths let's just say it's uh 1500 pounds a square meter 
then you've got um you've got a budget of of 200,000 or um thereabouts or 300,000 you know from that how much space roughly you can therefore afford to build um at that budget mm-hmm. and give or take a bit depending on if you want something that's extra special then maybe you have to give a little bit of space somewhere else and make it smaller so yeah that's that's typically how i would start to get someone's um aspirations a little bit more grounded i suppose mm-hmm. Sometimes. <laughs> it, it's an issue i've seen i've seen it firsthand um where clients have gone to an architect and said yeah this is what i want and then the the drawing they you know, they've paid for their plans and their drawings and they've got all excited because all their their sort of needs are met and then they take those plans to a builder and the you know the the quoted price is vastly more than uh what they've told the architect i've had that happen as well because i think usually that's because they've gone to a builder who doesn't understand the materials um or hasn't worked with them before doesn't know where to source them and is kind of thrown so they they add um contingency um typically a qs does the same thing they see something that's not normal brick and block and they'll add x amount extra and and suddenly as with the the project you worked on of ours the workshops in suffolk you know we they went to a qs the first time around and were told um a ridiculous cost which almost stopped the project going ahead entirely um and it had to be redesigned really really small in order to get it in budget and it was still expensive um because the the builders were sort of thrown by the materials and then um yeah we went on that journey of of uh find well i i showed you a sketch on a napkin basically saying what do you think of this um and suddenly because we approached builders who were kind of on the right wavelength of um the right materials thinking of things in in a different way um yeah it was it was something that was achievable within budget and we got it to go a little bit bigger again so you got that space um, a bit better and it certainly is not your standard brick and block building it's a beautiful um, space very beautifully crafted by um, Hartwin and team so I'm really proud of that and I've um, enjoyed going to to visit and seeing and uh, dining even in the space um, which has proved really valuable especially in lockdown because there's the covered sort of outdoor dining um space which obviously we've been able to sit more than two meters apart um but yeah sit outside in that space and and the client they've they've really enjoyed uh using that space so we've got a lot more from it than we thought and and it was still um pretty near to budget i'd say um compared to what it was originally going to cost um i'm certainly um, happy with the building. I think it's come out really well. Great. I'm very happy with the building. Yeah, it was, um, I was thinking about it the other day because I, well, I find myself often thinking about this, this balance between sort of hippie, hippie building, uh, you know, building with straw barrels, all wobbly walls and yeah. And, and sort of, you know, I, my focus is, and I've talked about this before, but like, my focus is very much in trying to make buildings that people don't necessarily know they're a, an eco home. They're just calling them a, a home. Uh, and, and so it sort of appeals to them on sort of quite a conventional, you know, it, it could just be whatever conventional construction. Um, so, so, you know, quite flat walls and, and things like that. The workshops were, they were a nice mix, I think, in that they had a bit of, a little bit of wobbly roundwood, but most of it was pretty clean. Yes. Um, straight lines and yeah quite smart we spent a long time flattening straightening building out um because that's yeah yeah, certainly that's the aesthetic i I enjoy yeah i think i think so i think also it's quite nice when you have something um that is pretty pretty much straight and flat um but it's just subtly handmade it's not like it's absolutely perfect machine cut you know it has some um quite subtle kind of um individual 
handmade look about it is crafted it's not um that doesn't mean it has to be taken to extreme and gone really wobbly and kind of have handprints and everything because you know that's a very different aesthetic but just you know subtly showing that something has been handcrafted even if it's um quite a normal Mm -hmm. thing can make the feeling of it um become really enjoyable i think um i was thinking about this a, a lot lately that the I think a lot of what's important in life in general is our um, connection to things and whether that's the people around us or the spaces or the things we have. And and I think when you can see something or you're in a space which feels like it's involved people or you can you can read it really well because it's honest in its materials and things, you, you have a better connection with where it's come from or what it really means or what's gone into it, the effort, the, the, the love that has, has gone into making that thing. And so it creates a really nice space. You, you feel better connected in that space. And so, yeah, that doesn't ma- sort of have that much um, impact on the aesthetic, whether you, you like a style which is quite sort of clean and straight or whether you like a style which is quite sort of rounded and wobbly. Um, but I think the same apl- thing applies that if you can see that something somebody has cared about it or you can see sort of where it's come from and the journey that that thing has had then you feel a lot happier about it and living in it there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Thank you, Jana, for an excellent conversation. If you haven't heard the other part of this, then head on over to episode 38 for more. And this is me just wishing you the best at this tricky time of year. Whatever festiveness you may or may not be celebrating, and I'm aware that probably quite a lot of people are now listening to this in June or something, uh, so it's not entirely relevant. But those who are here with me at the moment, at this solstice Christmas New Year time, I hope that you stay safe and happy and remember to pick up your phone and call anyone who might be alone at this time. It will make the world of difference. So that's it. See you in 2021. It might not be starting well, but it's going to be great at the end. See ya! Enough! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.